Sherman of the Athletic joining us. Hello, guys. The intent that he had in putting this staff together will overrule all of that, no pun intended. Yeah, you've got to get bigger and bolder every time, right? Call Mitch. Call Mitch. Call Mitch. Call Mitch. I'm just reliving Mitch. Just reliving Connor's video that he took of Josh's uh, beardless face reveal. Ah, yes. From earlier in the Grum. You can uh, check it out on the JTEC Construction Zone Twitter feed at USC1620. Or just go back to 1620 The Zone TV on YouTube. We, of course, televised the entire... Man. <laughs> can't wait for the beard to come back. I can't either, because then maybe the teeth will look smaller. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. Mitch Sherman of The Athletic joins us. Hello, Mitch. Hey, guys. How you doing? Bad. Yeah, Josh is a little upset. I lost had, a bet, so I had to bet. shave my beard. Mitch, have you ever had to do any weird hair bets before? No, I had a I had an old boss who tried to tried to entice me to grow out my hair, which I'm just not going to do. Mm. And it was he was it wasn't a bet; it was just like it was just a, a monetary thing. He was going to pay me, and he kept upping the amount of oh, wow. uh, payment. I mean, it was it never got to anything that was like um, you know life changing. I would have had to think about it then, but. Um, yeah, those were some fun days in the old World Herald newsroom. Shout out to Thad Livingston, not listening today, unless he's in the stream, hmm. um, wherever he, uh, wherever he Could is be. today. But no, I've never had to do any kind of, um, I've never participated in any kind of weird hair bets. So sorry that you're suffering today, Josh. No, it's all right. How, how much, how much money did it get up to? Yeah. It didn't make it to four figures. I would have had, well, I, I might've started to think about it at that point. It was in the, it was. It was, uh, it was, I think he got to several hundred dollars. He wanted me to like not get a haircut for like three months or something like that. Wow. Ooh, I think I could have pulled that off. Yeah. For hundreds of dollars. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll stay yeah, I shaving. For... I wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've known Mitch for a while and he's always had short hair. Yeah. I, yeah. I would, I would agree. Just always had roll. Yep. yep. That makes sense. Well, today in uh, Lincoln, we got the, uh, the reveal of Glenn Thomas. Or not the reveal, that's that's the wrong word. Pulled off his mask and he was like, look, I don't have facial hair either. <laughs> that's true, he doesn't, but he did meet with the media. What was, Where were some of your initial impressions of the man? It was unveiling, I think. Unveiling, the, the, the there you cor- go. Correct phraseology. Uh, you know, he was a, he's a Matt Rule guy. He's a Matt Rule hire. That, that's my my primary takeaway. Um, Matt Rule has, has talked before in in making decisions and in, in discussing the way that he makes decisions about assistant coaches, that he's not looking for the flashy hire. And we've seen a lot of flashy hires, especially at the coordinator positions at big school openings, SEC and big 10 openings this off season. And for some schools, I think that's the answer and it's the way to bolster recruiting and it's the way to get them to a place where they feel like they can win national championships looking at you Ohio State but that is not the Matt Rule method of doing it and in this this is this is a co-coordinator or a um, as Matt Rule described it last Wednesday um, a uh, collaborative coordinator (laughs) so not exactly like bringing in Chip Kelly or Bill O'Brien to run your offense, but still it's a high profile position and he's, he's paid like a high profile coach. Salary was, was revealed today at $800,000. So it's, 
So, you know, just a, a few short months ago, that would have put him right near the top of the most high of most highly paid assistant coaches in Nebraska history. He is of course half getting half of what Tony white uh, is paid in, in this, this next, next calendar year and, and well behind Marcus Satterfield also, but it's just a, um, you know, he's coming in to do the job, not to, uh, you know, not to sell Nebraska football. And that's, that's what the, the vibe that I got from, from Glenn Thomas today. Mitch, how is he successful? What what would mark a successful hiring and, and execution of the Glenn Thomas era, however long it lasts, with him at quarterbacks coach slash co-OC? Well, I think it's pretty clear. It's about these young quarterbacks. And he's coming in in, a, in an ideal time, I think, for an assistant coach where you look at his position group and it's he's he, he's got it, – it's like a blank canvas. Um, they're, they're, yeah, Heinrich Harburg – has got his uh, his history in the program for sure, and he started eight games last season, and he was Nebraska's most successful in terms of winning football games. He was the only quarterback to start and win a football game last year at Nebraska. Um, but even with that, Heinrich Harburg is is a, is a young um, quarterback who is in need of more development. And then the other two guys, who I think most people feel are the future for Nebraska football at the quarterback position, are in Dylan Rayola and, and Daniel Caitlin are, are completely, you know, just brand new material for at the, at the college level for Glenn Thomas to work with. So yeah, they've got, they've got, uh, you know, the, their own mechanics and they've got, they come in with a, with a certain way that they want to play and a style of play. And, and, you know, we're going to see that as soon as, as spring football, but as far as the way that they're trained at the college level, you know, he gets to start at square one with these guys. So for him to be successful and mark his time at Nebraska as successful, it's about developing those young quarterbacks. And I'd include Harburg in that mix, even though he's not really young in terms of his eligibility. It's about developing those guys and, you know, turning them into quarterbacks who can win games and be, um, in the case of Raiola, I would say it's, he's, he's got to be a star at Nebraska and a star on the college level to, to prove this out to be a successful hire or successful uh, stint for Glenn Thomas in this job. Mitch Sherman of The Athletic joining us as he does on Mondays on the 42 Degrees the Source hotline. Do you think Dylan Rayola will have a role in the collaborative effort of what the offense is? Obviously, he'll be the physical manifestation of what happens, but do you think he'll have a role in the collaboration and in game planning and play calling and things of that nature. Well, in, in some way, shape and form, yes, because he's going to be going through the practices with these coaches and they're going to be basing if all goes according to plan and he wins the job and that's not their stated plan, but it's what, what I envision Mm -hmm. as the plan. It's how I see this playing out. Then they're going to tailor parts of the offense, big parts of the offense, around his skill set. So in that sense, yeah, he's a part of the collaboration. I don't think he's going to be sitting down in game planning meetings and strategy strategy sessions and, and play design with Glenn Thomas, Marcus Satterfield, you know, Garrett McGuire, wh- whoever is in is in those meetings and saying, "Hey, we should run, you know, this route concept here." I mean, maybe eventually when if you're a, if you're an older player, I think, you know, you have those conversations with your position coach or your coordinator or even the head coach. 
But early in his career, it, it will be the coaches assessing him and his skill set and then building the offense around that. So surely he's involved, but but not in the same way that uh, that Thomas is involved or, or even the way that a veteran quarterback would be involved. Mitch, are you surprised that UCLA didn't really kick the tires a bit more on Tony White than maybe like I would have expected or fans around here would have expected? Well, I do get the sense that they kicked the tires, and I got the sense that you know, to- well, I know Tony would be interested, and in, in what was interested if he was approached, and I think he was approached. I think there were, um, well, it's hard to it's hard to know the the right way to phrase it. There was mutual interest uh, is, is is probably the best way. Um, I'm a little surprised it didn't go farther. I think he would have been a popular hire among the UCLA community. Now, you get into the middle of February, and it gets tricky. And we saw this with Michigan, which wasn't in the middle of February, but it was late in the in the college football coaching hire cycle. And I think with the way the portal works now, what we've seen in both of these hires for different reasons. You know, UCLA is cash strapped and has some some issues uh, within its athletic department as it comes into the Big Ten that need to be addressed. And, you know, they're, they're certainly not going to go out and, and try to hire a $10 million coach. And, and, you know, Tony White would not have been that. And Deshaun Foster is, is not that. But I, I think, um, you know, what we're seeing is the power of the, the student athlete being uh, – it's being illustrated in another way. And you saw Alabama um, make a change and then a ton of players go into the transfer portal. And I think for, for Michigan, that was the signal that – if if you don't want to lose a big part of your roster, you better do. You better really give a lot of consideration to the coach who is going to be the one that the players want. You can't always do it the way the players want. Uh, the administration has to make decisions that are that it feels are best for the school. But if all else is equal or even close to being equal, I think you have to try to make the players happy so that they don't leave in a mass exodus without others being available to pick up via the portal and you know Alabama's dealing with some of that and here we are a a month later and you know if UCLA were to hire someone that wasn't the choice of the players and Foster was was the favorite he coached on that staff this year before leaving to go to the to the Raiders and now coming back um, then UCLA would have not only been dealing with the problems that it's dealing with after the Chip Kelly years but it also would have been dealing likely with a big chunk of its roster going into the portal as it makes this jump to the Big Ten without players to pick out of the portal who are Big Ten caliber football players. So UCLA um, certainly did itself a favor as far as the kind of team that it can field next year by hiring the coach that the players would prefer. Mitch Sherman joining us from The Athletic. We had another court storming yesterday at PBA. We've got three wins in that building that have resulted in court stormings. Which one's the biggest? You got Purdue and Wisconsin on the men's side. You got Iowa on the women's side. Given all the storylines around all the games, what it means for the team. Good question. Which one ranks yeah, the highest? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, they're all great in their own way. Yes. And, you know, it's hard to compare the men's and women's programs because they're in different places. And Sure. Um, I would probably go with Purdue because it was the number one team in the country. Um, and, you know, Purdue has its own, of course, big-time star. You know, the biggest star in men's college basketball was was in the building that night That's and Zach Eady, And then the biggest star in college basketball period was in the building yesterday with Caitlin Clark. I mean, in, in terms of like the, the, the dramatics of it, 
Wisconsin probably gets it because Nebraska came back from uh, almost 20 points down, um, and it went overtime. Uh, so that so that that's that's the dramatic win. And then you know Purdue is probably the the most the biggest headline grabber because it was the number one team in the country. And then yesterday, I think had both of those elements. Um, you, you know, and the, it's like the women's. The win for, for Amy Williams' team kind of combined all of the things that were great for yeah. the Nebraska men's team in, in both wins. Yeah. You got the, the great star player on one side, um, and, and then you had the, the, the incredible comeback, 14 down um, with 10 minutes to go. So they accomplished all of that. And, and um, you throw in the fact that Caitlin Clark was chasing the, the NCAA scoring record and that has a completely different element that wasn't present present in either one of the men's wins. So I may have just talked myself into believing that yesterday was the biggest one. What I, I think I think it, it, when we see the numbers, it'll be the most watched. Oh, yeah. TV-wise, oh. it's going to be the biggest. Oh, it'll sure. be the most no, no watched. There'll be at least yeah. uh, maybe a couple million people saw that game yesterday. Yeah, Mitch, yeah, what it is- was great theater. Oh, it was great theater to watch the way that Iowa was trying to thread the needle because clearly, yeah. if everything, if every, if Iowa can win that game and and preserve the record and bring it back home and, and, and for her to break the record in front of the home fans, it was definitely in the minds of people on the Iowa side, no matter what they may try to say it was. And you could see it in the way that Iowa came out and lost some of its aggressiveness. It's, it, some of it had to do with the Nebraska defense, but Iowa lost and, and Caitlin Clark lost some of the aggressiveness that they were playing with in the first three quarters because they didn't want her to get over 30, 38 points. And, um, you know, that, that, that snowballed a little bit. Nebraska got some confidence. They lost rhythm, and, and, you know, they lost the game in part because of it. Yeah, it's funny, Mitch. You led right into the question I wanted to ask you, and that was what in the world do you think happened with them in the fourth quarter? Because I'm with you. I think that they wanted to, to get out of Dodge and also not have her set the record so she could do it in Iowa City. It certainly looked that way on TV. It would have been better for Iowa if, if it was up like six or eight going into the fourth quarter because then I think you would have said, all right, forget about the record and the points. We need to win this game. Yep. Obviously, they wanted to win the game more than they wanted to take the opportunity to break the record back home. Like winning was the most important thing for Kalen Clark, for for Iowa's coaching staff, for everybody on that on that side for Iowa. They, that that was the number one priority coming in. And then if they could win it and and keep her to thirty eight points or less, then that would that would be perfect. That'd be the best of both worlds. And they thought they had that being ahead fourteen. So. Iowa pulls back the reins a bit. Um, you know, Clark is instead of looking to, to score all the time, and she's I mean, she's an incredible passer. I mean, she she sees the court. That's the most in- amazing thing about her game. That's the first time I've seen her in person, a, a lot on TV, but first time I've seen her in person. And, and the way that she sees the entire court is is I mean, it's like Magic Johnson esque. So, um, so her passing the ball is nothing new, but she was even more of a distributor in the, the early portions of the fourth quarter yesterday, and, and her teammates weren't weren't holding up their part of the deal. This wasn't like Thursday in Iowa City when Hannah Stolke scored 47 points. Um, they, they weren't making shots the way that, that they have at times this year. And, and so Iowa went, went cold um, and, and lost its offensive mojo, and Nebraska gained momentum as a result of it. And then Jazz Shelley got hot at the end, and – you know, it was a perfect. Uh, it was a perfect confluence of events. How it happened for Nebraska and, and like the nightmare scenario um, for Iowa to uh, to lose in that fashion. Mitch Sherman of the Athletic. Mitch, always appreciate the conversation. Thanks, and uh, maybe you know we we need we do need to figure out something to do with our quarter jar. 
Maybe yeah. we'll get Mitch to grow his hair out. Oh we yeah, can we can just the, give you our quarters, you can have the Mitch. Sixteen dollars in our quarter jar. Man, I'm gonna regret. I'm gonna regret having it, had taken that that anecdote public. Um, <laughs> Probably yes. I'm not gonna do it. I'm just, I'm just not gonna do it. It's just it would not be it would not be enjoyable for me. Understandable. I get it. Yeah. Totally yeah. get it. All right, Mitch, take yeah. care. Okay, thanks, guys. You know, speaking of um, Tony White and the U.S. or Mr. UCLA White. job that. Uh, has now been filled by Deshaun Foster. These two were teammates. They were in the same class together. Foster and White were. But that's pretty much where their paths stopped intersecting. Sure. Foster, of course, went on, played a few years in Carolina. Uh, Tony White, after a couple of years in in the Canadian League, then kind of worked his way around um, the coaching horn. Uh, And then when Foster got out of the NFL – he basically went straight to UCLA yeah. and has been there ever since. So outside of a few times where they played against each other on opposite sidelines when Tony White was at ASU as a coach, um, there's not a whole lot of intersect here. So it, I, I only say that if you were wondering, well, could this be a situation where Foster asks an old teammate to come and join him to help rebuild the, the family? Yeah, um, that stunned me. I don't think I don't think that's going to happen yeah I wouldn't worry I wouldn't worry about that I think that you know now that this job is secure and I mean uh, it doesn't seem like there's anything else that's going to happen barring you know I'm guessing maybe there's still another job that will open up before September 1 but we saw the same thing happen last year with Pat Fitzgerald right like wow that's a surprise like Frank Solich retired in the summer a couple years ago Bob Stoops retired in June Mm -hmm. like we've seen that before so maybe there'll be another job that opens but I'd feel very comfortable if you're a Nebraska fan thinking like, okay, White's going to be back for sure. What can that mean for the defense? And and I feel, you know, now that this job is filled, I definitely think that's going to happen, and this will probably be his last year. That is how I am approaching 2024. Oh, I would. Yeah, this I is would. his last year. I would absolutely approach it that way. Yeah. Uh, just judging kind of by how things have been reacted to in Westwood. Um, players are pumped about this, Players right? are very pumped. So Nebraska may have not dodged as big a bullet as they thought. When you give, I mean, when you look at the situation, and with the transfer portal and the thirty-day window that opens up when a coach leaves, filling a job quickly has never been more important. And especially if it's late in the game like this is, having some semblance of continuity to save from players getting into the portal is probably even more important. And Foster again has been on this staff for basically the last ten years. Yeah. So this this almost seemed like basically the same thing with, with what Michigan did. It's just that, you know, Foster didn't have a chance to coach his team this year like, as the head like, coach. Like Sharon Moore did. Like, yeah. Sharon, like Sharon Moore did. So 100%. It, it's very similar to that where it's like, hey, we got somebody in-house. The guys really like him. He's been around. He knows the role. Let's go with him. And you wonder if as we move to next year and whatever happens next year with coaching hires, if this might start becoming a trend where athletic directors try to keep someone around, keep someone around, then you keep the players because around, then you keep the players around and you, and you lose the risk unless, unless you're in a situation where the program is in a bad way. UCLA was not in a bad way. You know, Chip Kelly had gotten them back up. You know, to eight, eight nine, nine and wins. eight games the last last three. So they years. were not a dumpster fire. They were a good wins. program, and twenty five wins. 
given the timing of everything, changing conferences, all of that other stuff, this made this made too much sense. See, but I would disagree with you mainly from this standpoint. The schools that we just brought up, the reason that they promoted from within is because their guys left. They didn't fire their coach. Right, but that's what I'm saying. If we get more, you know, if this trend of coaches, you know, leaving for the pros continues, it would not surprise me if we see more promotion from within to try to keep the band to try together. to keep the band together if you think you have something worthwhile. Now, if you're in a spot where you've got to rebuild anyway, yeah, what, what what's the point of bringing right. somebody back? By the way, Asian Joe, he says, I think it's fair to answer this question after the season. This is your question to Mitch. Depending on how the Husker basketball teams do in the postseason, if they make the NCAA tournament, yeah, I think today I'd be happy with. I think today there are t- two answers that I think would satisfy me, and that's the Purdue game and then the the game yesterday. Um, for the women, but I think if the men make the tournament, you know, in hindsight, I think that Purdue win will be the one that a lot of us view as like kicking off the run. Whereas, like the women yesterday, seems like it might have solidified their tournament berth, right? Um, women. That said, the Wisconsin game was big too because like they kind of needed another one of those resume wins. So it's a really fun question. Three court stormings, and all of them have been massive for different reasons. I think Mitch hit on it pretty well, though. The Purdue game, you beat the best player in men's basketball. Yesterday, you beat the best player in basketball, in college basketball right now. Um, and you've, you finally ended the streak. Iowa had owned Nebraska yes, over the had. last few years. I think if if you allow yourself to answer the question and and take the big picture out of it, if the big picture part of it, how the team ended up the season, if you could take and just look at the moment. I'd say yesterday. Though. Then yesterday, to me, was the bigger game. Whether it's because it will easily be the most watched game that the that either team plays in this season. And I think it will be. It would not surprise me if that game had at least two minutes. Yeah, it was years. over the air. So you throw that it was in. over the air is on a Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's again, it's the biggest star in, in college basketball right now. Um, yeah, I, I feel like for sure. In the moment, uh, or rather not looking big picture, I think that, that that's definitely the answer. All right, still to come, more on yesterday's Super Bowl and – how Rick Pitino and I see eye to eye. Mm. 15 seconds of handshaking. <laughs> That's kind of a long handshake, though. That, it, it that is, is yeah. a long handshake. Yeah. 1620 the zone. Nick Grimm for Circus Sports Iowa, your new go to sports book. Now that football is unfortunately done for the season, that doesn't mean you're done making money. Now's the time to turn your sights onto basketball as we ramp up for the college tournament. With tight money line splits, you will rarely find a game that's any higher than a minus 110 split. That's more money for you. Also, don't forget that they won't limit you if you keep winning like a lot of other places might. They also have amazing customer support full of real people there to offer you real help. None of those dumb chat bots or AI. It's a real person behind that screen. It's like having all the hospitality of Las Vegas right in the palm of your hand anywhere in Iowa. So go ahead and try the world's largest sports book, Circus Sports Iowa. Download it today. If you or someone you know may have a problem with gambling, call 1-800-238-7633.